Some of you know that uh, in college I was training to be a journalist. And I remember like one of the uh, things we were told as journalists was never to ask somebody a question they weren't qualified to answer. Well, after I got out of journalism, I started working in my first jobs. One of the jobs we, uh, the reporters, we hated the most was to go do the man on the street interview. And if you think about it, the man on the street interview violates that principle. You're asking somebody on the street to comment on something they are not qualified to answer on. Well, that was bad enough. You know, you would see like little columns in the paper, maybe have someone's photo, or maybe on the TV news, or we were radio news. But now, now we don't even have to wait for the news. Now, people offer their opinions on things they're not qualified to offer their opinions on all the time. You can do reviews on just about anything. You guys know what, uh, what Yelp is? Yelp. Well, if you don't live in the online world, uh, Yelp means like it's a sharp cry. You know, if I threw a rock and hit a dog, the dog would yelp. Well, it's kind of actually pretty accurate. Yelp is a place where you can make reviews, and you can review just about anything. And you got people who are reviewing usually restaurants, which is fine, um, even though most of us probably aren't experts at making food. We all know what we like. But then you can do reviews on doctors. That's always interesting. You who have no medical training are going to be reviewing the doctor. Okay, if you want to review the doctor's bedside manner, the doctor's attitude, okay, that's one thing. But to be reviewing the doctor's actual abilities and what they did, or when you asked to have certain tests run and he didn't do it, now you're upset. You know, or, or she made you do all these expensive things that you didn't think you needed and turns out you were okay. All right, well, there's even Yelp reviews for, for churches. Um, you can do them for professors. But what they found is a lot of these are not really that helpful. Oh, well, sometimes if I'm in a city and hear about a restaurant, I might check out the Yelp reviews. want to make sure that there haven't been any cockroaches or rats running through the dining room anytime recently and, you know, things like that. But if I'm going to go look for a doctor, I'm not sure that's where I'm going to check. In fact, they've done, some, they've done some studies of these things to show that they're not that helpful. But you know what the internet revealed? It revealed something that was always true, that we love our opinions. We love to judge other people. We do it all the time. Oh, you go, I don't. Yeah, you do. You do it all the time. You just maybe don't say it. Do it, keep it in your head. Uh, maybe you share it with just one friend. Maybe you say things in a, quiet way, but you do it. The internet just gives people a platform for everybody else to read their reviews. One thing we learned in TV and radio was um, people were much more likely to call the station if they were going to complain. 
not say, that was a really good news report you did. But if they were going to complain, oh, they're calling right away. So everybody, like, just, you know, in the station, nobody wanted to answer the phone right after the newscast. Right after the, you know, whatever, a radio newscast, whatever, air, nobody wanted to answer the phone. I found out later on, my auntie, one of my aunties, she used to be one of these people who called. But she wasn't calling about the news. She would call, and some of you old-timers will know who this is, but she would call to tell Linda Coble, you know, I liked your hair the way it was last week. This week, it's just not that flattering, right? I mean, again, reviews, why? We all have these opinions. We want to do it all the time. But what the other thing we have in common is we hate to be reviewed. We hate to be judged. When I was a teacher, I no, all the teachers hated teacher evaluations. Even though what do teachers do all day? They're evaluating students. But they didn't want to be evaluated. I kind of got it, too, because, again, why are students evaluating teachers? Do students really know what a teacher has to do and what a teacher's responsibilities are? But we, we love to judge, but we hate to be judged. And it kind of goes, I think, sometimes hand in hand that, that the more someone hates to be judged, the more judgmental they tend to be. And I think that's the world we lived in. We live in a world where, where people are like, they want to just say, don't judge me. Don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me. While they're sitting around judging everybody about everything. And before you think this isn't you, hang on. Because we're going to get to some subtle ways that we judge that maybe you don't think of as judging, that are pretty damaging to the body of Christ. So we're continuing our study. We're continuing our study of what is a disciple and why do we want to know what a disciple is? Because if you are a Christian, you are a disciple. It is not optional. We need to get that thinking out of our head that somehow we could pray to receive Christ, become a Christian, be accepted, and then not have to be a disciple. No. The Great Commission says, go make disciples. Not go make people who pray a prayer, and then if they choose to do anything else, they can choose to, but if they choose to just kind of drop out, they can do that too, because they prayed the prayer. No. That is not Christianity Unfortunately, it was a Christianity that was presented through much of the 20th century. Christianity, what Jesus says in the Great Commission, is make disciples. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple. The Sermon on the Mount is this extensive teaching by Jesus on what a disciple is, how a disciple thinks, what a disciple does. And it's the reason we're going through this. Because if we're going to be a healthy church, one of the marks of a healthy church is that, is that people are on this process of discipleship. That we're constantly growing, not just in our knowledge. If you remember my definition of disciple, which I think is a pretty good one, which is why I keep saying it, it's when knowledge about God meets God's spirit in our lives and changes us more 
into the image of Jesus Christ. That's discipleship. So if discipleship isn't happening, you've got to ask, where's the breakdown? Is the breakdown in, in I'm not getting knowledge? Well, if I'm not getting knowledge, you have no excuse for not getting knowledge at this church because there are so many opportunities for you to study and grow and learn. Plus, there's no excuse for not getting knowledge at this point in, in history. There is access, more access to knowledge than, than ever in the world. I always find it remarkable when they talk about the big libraries of the ancient world might have had three to five hundred like scrolls in them. That was considered a big library. You have access to information. That's a million times more information. Never better. Never a better time. And especially in the United States. You don't have to hide. You can, you can go to churches, you can go to uh, Christian schools, you can go to universities, you can go to Bible studies, all these opportunities. So is the problem knowledge? I hope not. Because that's really just a question of effort. Is the problem the spirit? Are you someone who's spent years acquiring knowledge but not meeting God's spirit in your life? Why not? Have you kind of divorced the two? Or is God's spirit not there? If God's spirit isn't there, you've got to ask yourself the question, am I really a Christian? And of course, the third part, maybe knowledge, spirit's there, but somehow it's not resulting in you being more like Christ. Why is that? And sometimes that just comes down to someone not helping you make the connection. That this is how these, these things come together. And this is what it looks like in your life. Well, that's why we're doing what we're doing, and that's why we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, two weeks ago, I preached the sermon on the ending of chapter 6. And I told you something that this is, that that's not about. It's not about God meeting your needs. Okay? Everybody reads that and they think somehow this is about God meeting their needs. No, that part of chapter 6 is about you seeking God's kingdom. Making, seeking God's kingdom your first, your highest priority, and not meeting your own needs. And how difficult it is for us to overcome that. Because even if we agree, like, okay, I'm going to seek God's kingdom, but God's going to meet my needs, right? We always want to make sure we're still gripped by that. Which is the opposite message. Jesus is saying, don't worry about getting your needs met. Seek my kingdom. Well, this passage, 
it's not about judging. Unfortunately, people think it's about judging because the word judge is used a lot. And you think like, well, if the word judge is used a lot, it must be about judging, and it's really not about judging. If you go back to the title of this sermon, it's not judge not. It's not, you know, here comes the judge. It's nothing to do with judging. If you look at the title, it tells you what this passage is really about. But why do we get caught up with judging? Well, because it's like needs. It's what we focus on. We're so concerned about what we think about other people and what other people think about us. We think that's what this is all about, that somehow this is about how I view other people and how people view me, and because of that, what Jesus is saying is, uh, don't judge out of fear that you will be judged, and you're way worse than the person you're judging. I probably, and I'm so glad that sermons I preached 20 years ago, nobody recorded because I probably taught that very thing. And if I could get in a time machine and I could go to where I was preparing, I would stop myself. Say, that's wrong. That's not what this passage is about. People love to quote this passage. Non-Christians love to quote this passage. But if they really understood what the passage is about, they wouldn't be quoting it. It's not don't judge. It's not ignore people's sin. It's not ignore people's flaws and weaknesses. When I was younger, I would sometimes go to like funeral services and memorial services, and somebody would, you know, somebody would be talking about the person who died, and they would say like, this person um, never said anything negative, never thought anything negative about anyone else. And when I was younger, I used to think like, oh, that's, that's a good trait. But now that I'm older, I'm like, wait a minute. They were either surrounded by wonderfully perfect people or they were missing something. They were missing the fact that we are all flawed and we all have weaknesses and we all struggle with sin. And I'm, I'm hopeful that if I'm in a healthy Christian community, that other people are seeing it when I can't see it. That's what I hope. I hope they're not just going, hey, we're all perfect. We're all good. Nobody's got any problems. It's like the, I, I don't watch TV news anymore, or very little, but when I used to watch TV news, you know, you'd have the, you know, you'd have the person who, you know, just killed six people, they'd be interviewing the mom. It can't be my son. He would never hurt anyone. Hey, on one hand, love mom. Mom's supporting her son, but mom's missing something. Because I'm pretty sure there were signs that son was capable of doing what son did. So it's not don't see. It's not be overly positive. It's not look at the world through rose-colored glasses. In fact, it's not don't judge 
because it's going to come back to you. This isn't some weird Jesus statement about karma or bachi. No. It's not this statement you can make where, hey, no one should judge me. Nor is it this statement which a lot of good Christians try to figure out is, all right, so it says don't judge, but it doesn't really mean don't judge all the time. So when exactly can I judge? Who can I judge? Everything's focused on judge. It's not. Now, let me just take a little side trip for a second, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just let me tell you something. If I keep telling you that there's these passages of Scripture that Jesus is giving about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple, and I keep telling you that it's not what you think it's about or what you've been taught it's about, if you actually agree with me, when I open up the Scripture to you and you say, like, oh, yeah, that's really not what it was about, that should bug you in a good way. Because what it should be telling you is, maybe a lot of what I think Christianity is really about is not what it's really about. And maybe I need to go back to God's Word and study it with fresh eyes. Maybe. So if it's not all about that, what is it about? Well, the title says, Disciples are Eye Cleaners. I could have said, you know, something about disciples are, you know, log removers. I don't know. Couldn't come up with anything witty. But what is this really about? This is really about getting logs and specks out of each other's eyes. What are logs and specks? It seems to be logs and specks are our our weaknesses, our sin, our problems. And it's all about getting rid of them. It's not about not judging, and so nobody points out my flaws, I don't point out your flaws, and we all walk around blissfully idiotic. No. It's that I'm taking care of the logs in my eye, you're taking care of the logs in your eyes, and we're helping each other get all these things out of our eyes. That's what this passage is about. It's about cleaning our eyes. Well, we go back and look at this. Let's look at that word judge. And let's really understand in the context what this is really talking about. We already said it doesn't mean that we pretend like we can't see someone's flaws. But it says, what I think this is telling us is that disciples, when they do look at others, when they do look at other disciples, they look at them to help them rather than condemn them. If I see a speck in your eye, if I see a weakness... I don't celebrate it. I don't say, well, that just shows what happens when you don't do things right. Instead, my heart should be broken. Instead, I should be thinking about, how can I help my brother or sister who is struggling 
who's weak, who's hurt. Can't do that if I've condemned them. You know, I've been talking about how part of what Christianity is, what Jesus, came, what God came to do and he created was to create the kingdom, which is, I think, the Bible term for what the good society is. And when I think about what a good society is, what, what, one of the questions I've begun to ask myself is, if you take whatever that is, whether it's a quality, an action, a law, whatever, and you extend it to 100%, if 100% of the people were like this, would that make the society good or would it make it worse? So when I think about this, if I think like if, if 100% of the people in the society were judgmental to the point of condemnation, would that make the society better or worse? And I think we'd all agree to make it worse because we all got something. We all got something we can look down on or somebody can look down upon us with us and judge us and condemn us and make it worse. But if we had a society made up of people who when they saw someone else's flaws, saw someone else's weaknesses, saw someone else's sin, they, they instead were thinking about how they could help them. Even if helping them means not doing anything sometimes. If that were the case, if that started to spread in your society, do you got a better society or a worse society? I think it's better. It works against healthy community to judge to the point of condemnation. But you go like, oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. Not me. I, 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 you know, yeah, I don't like stuff people do. You know, I don't like sometimes songs they sing. I don't like the way, you know, people teach. I don't like the way certain programs or ministries are. I don't do that. Well, maybe you don't. But maybe you do. You see, when we judge to the point of condemnation, what we're saying is that person's weakness that person's sin, that person's flaw is such a part of them that they will never get better. And if they will never get better, if they will never get better, then I need to keep my distance. I, I need not to get too close to them because they will never get better. That's what judgment that leads to condemnation does. And this is the power sometimes we use. We judge to the point of condemnation because we will just say like, yeah, I'm not going to tell them what I think, but I'm not going to associate with them either. I'm not going to ever try to get to know them. I'm going to keep my distance. Oh, it'll be a safe distance. If we pass each other in the hallways, I'll say, oh, good morning, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'll do that. But we're not going to be friends. I'm not going to invite them over. I'm not going to say, let's go get some coffee. No. Because you know what? They're never going to change. Aren't you so glad 
aren't you so glad that God didn't say that about you, even though, even though it was true? Without God's help, without Jesus Christ, you were never going to change. You were never going to change. You were going to stay in active rebellion against God. You were going to wander farther and farther away from God to the point that you couldn't feel him or sense him or acknowledge him, and then you just don't even believe he exists. Or you were going to go and create your own gods, your own things that you were going to worship. But you would never come back to him. But isn't God so wonderful that he takes us from the truly never state and says, I'm going to make a way. It's up to me. It cannot be up to them. If we're truly children of grace, if we're truly saved because of what Jesus Christ did for us when he made the way that we would never have come back, how much more so we need to extend that to same attitude to our brothers and sisters. And we should never say never about them. Because if they're truly our brothers and sisters in Christ, they have God's spirit in them. And maybe they're hard-headed. Maybe they, they, their sin is more deeply embedded. Maybe it's going to take years to get over their bitterness. But you got to decide. They're either not Christians. And if they're not Christians, you have another responsibility to them, which is share with them the gospel. But if you believe they are Christians, you got to believe God's spirit is there. And he placed them around you at this time and place to help not judge, not condemn, not cut off. Ever, ever, ever say these words or ever think these thoughts when you're dealing with someone and somebody comes up to you and says, you seem to have a problem with that. Why don't you go deal with it? Remember, I tell you, reconciliation is a sign of health in a church. Did you ever say this or think this? No matter. I know what she's going to say anyways. That is a form of condemning. That is a way of judging to the point of condemnation where you say, this person will never change. God's spirit, God's spirit, you, you might even say this, you might have even said this, if God wanted to save Adolf Hitler and make him a new creation in Christ, he could have done it. But not that person in my church. Really? Is your God so powerful he could take the most heinous criminal in the, in the history of you know, the modern world and you believe he's so powerful he could do that, but he cannot get your, your fellow church member who's got this grudge, he's got this annoying habit. Really? It's weird. Doesn't seem to make sense. Another way... Another way we do it is we say, I tried already. I tried already. 
That's why I love Jesus taking away our excuses. I like this one. I tried already. Because it kind of absolves me in some sense. Except, Jesus said, how many times should you forgive someone? Okay, so if I modify this and I say, I tried 490 times already. Okay, maybe you got a biblical foundation to stand on. But usually when we say we tried already, usually we mean once, maybe twice. And for the really holy people, we tried three times. But none of us tried 490 times. We cut them off. We judge. We condemn. Tried already. Not going to do any good. Tried already. Really. Whether you're saying it or whether you're thinking it, you're judging and you're condemning. So you don't have to be, you know, saying it to people's face. You don't have to be getting a group together to judge and condemn. We do far more damage. We do far more damage in the body of Christ with the silent condemnation that we do because it never gets dealt with. At least if someone stands up and says, I don't like you. Or, you hurt my feelings. Okay, yeah, maybe we're going to have a big fight. Maybe we're going to, you know, go at it. But at least we're dealing with it. But if instead we have all of these suppressed things all over the church, different people, different relationships, condemnation, silent condemnation, the church can never be healthy. Ever. We need to remember that if we see sin or weakness or a flaw in a brother or sister, we got to see that that needs care and it needs a cure. And maybe we're not qualified to bring the cure. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are all qualified to bring care. Sometimes all we can do is just keep saying hello. Just keep reaching out. Just keep trying to be a friend. That's all we can do. Because we're not qualified to help them with whatever their issue is. Sometimes we are given the opportunity to bring the cure. The second thing we see with this big idea about the log, and when it talks about log, it's actually, you know, Jesus, remember, was a carpenter, so it's actually a piece of wood, a big piece of wood that had been, that had been finished. So it doesn't matter whether you're picturing a big tree log or, you know, a two-by-four. It doesn't matter. The big thing is the difference between the log and the speck. And so what does he say? What is this telling us? It says, deal with the log in your own eye. And this is the thing. Disciples are always working on their own weaknesses. You're always working on your own flaws. You're always working on your own sin. 
You see, we do this silent self-condemnation. We're not condemning other people. We condemn ourselves. We go like, you know, I'll never be any good at that. I'll never be able to do that. I'll never be any different. And we condemn ourselves. I can never like that. I can never participate in that. Ever. We condemn ourselves. It's silent self-condemnation. But a disciple, when they're made aware of their weaknesses, at minimum, they're saying, God, help me to be different. Now, you guys get the older, cute, cuddly Matt Sanders. But apparently, when I was younger, I was more like a porcupine. Not the hair thing, but I could be a little harsh, a little abrasive, and I knew it. Not just because my wife told me, put post-it notes on the mirror, uh, bumper sticker on the car. No, I knew. I'd read the Galatians 5.23 and look at the fruit of the Spirit and feel pretty decent about five of them. But there are a couple I knew. I didn't know how to fix it. But I knew at minimum I could pray. God, help me be kinder. Help me be more tender-hearted. Help me be more gentle. We can at least do that. Do you even know what your weaknesses are? Do you even know those areas where you're not anywhere close to measuring up to what Christ wants us to be? Do you know? If you do know, does it bug you to the point that you pray even if you have no idea how to make it better, you pray every day. God, I'm a coward. I have all this fear, all this anxiety. I don't know how to get rid of it. Can you help me? Disciples always work on their weaknesses. But you see, Disciples aren't always aware of their weaknesses, and that's why we need each other. We need each other to help us. And not by just pointing it out and telling us, but because sometimes I see my weaknesses when I see the strength in you. When I see that maybe the way you pray, or maybe the way that, that, that you live by faith, or maybe the joy you have in situations that are way more difficult than my situations. And I start to go like, oh yeah, I gotta work on that. Sometimes though, we're kind of thick and someone's gotta tell us. It's one of the reasons I love like preparing for sermons and Bible studies is because, you know, God's word, I can't ignore it. It's in my face all the time. Telling me, you got to work on that, man. Do you know your biggest weakness as a Christian? If you're brave enough, just jot it down on that note right there. Ask yourself, are you working on it, or have you condemned yourself to saying, I could never, I could never, could never be a bolder witness for Christ? I could never 
I could never teach. I could never, you fill in the blank. Is there things that you say, this is who I am, this is how I am, I'm never going to be any different. Are you working on it? Like I said earlier, we all got something. As a matter of fact, if we're honest, we all got a list of somethings. That's Jesus' point. Work on them. Sometimes, you know what helps? Telling others. Telling others that you know. Not telling others that you know so that that kind of gives you an excuse to do it. This is how I am. So just let me be. I'm aware. No. It's telling others to say, you know what? Can you remind me when I start getting this way? Can you help me when I become such a negative Nelly that I need some help? When I get so down that I need to be reminded of God's blessing? Can you help me? Simple steps. Things we can do. The last point is the point that we've been making again and again, and I'll keep making it. We don't get healthier. We don't, we don't yank the log out of our eye just so we can be healthy. As this passage tells us, it's so that we can help others. You see, if I'm not aware and if I'm not working on my weaknesses, I'm actually got a couple problems. One is I have the problem of becoming very proud and thinking like, I'm the only one without weaknesses. All you guys, you guys all got weaknesses. So even if I try to help you, I'm helping you from a perspective of someone who thinks he doesn't have any weaknesses, which is really going to limit my effectiveness to the more perceptive ones of you. Because you're going to go, dude, well, some of you probably don't use the word dude. You might say, man, you can't believe it. You are trying to get that little thing out of my eye when you're walking in here with two big logs in your eye? I ain't listening to you. But if I walk in and say, guys, I got these two logs in my eye and I'm trying to get them out. I don't know how. I'm working on it. You know, now it's different. Now you might listen to me more. We get healthier so that we can help others get healthy. We pull the logs out so that we can help those who have things in their eyes. And the result is that we're a better church because of it. You know, there's people who, who I, I sometimes call them, they're, they're, they're gym strong. You know, they go to the gym and they look really strong. You know, they usually work on the mirror muscles. Those are the muscles you can see in the mirror. So they work on this, the bicep, but not the tricep, because you can't see it. They work on the big legs, but not the back, because you can't see it. Work on the chest, right? They, they just get the mirror muscles. But then, if you ever need to go do a job, let's say you have to go do a job at a construction site. A lot of those guys who are gym strong, they're useless on the construction site. And then you see that skinny dude that you know, even sometimes that you know, young woman who's been out there and picking up stuff, carrying around, and you know, big gym muscle guys like, can barely do anything. 
I think that's how a lot of Christians are. They're like the gym muscle guy. They carry their Bible, they come to church, they do all the right things. They smile when they're supposed to smile, they frown when they're supposed to frown. Our church doesn't do this, but if we did this, you'd be saying amen when you're supposed to say amen and praise the Lord. We got the gym muscles. But are they any good at helping in the real work, in, the peop- in, the, in helping people? It's a reminder, this log and spec thing, it's a reminder that we're all in this together. We're all in this together. You don't get healthier so you can prove to everyone else how healthy you are. You don't get healthier so you can have more power. You see, the healthier you get as a Christian, the more you understand the grip that sin has in your life. The healthier you get, the more you, 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 you really get how much it took to even get where you are and how far you still have to go. People who understand that are people who are full of grace. But they're not full of grace to the point of, oh, we're not going to judge, we're just let everybody be everybody. It's like, no, come on, man. Let's go. Let me help you. I can't maybe get the log out, but maybe I can get the speck. See, when we judge to condemnation, we give ourselves a pass not to help others. But when we see people's weakness, when we see their flaws, and we do it with God's spirit and God's grace, we cannot do anything but help them. Because we love them. That's why this passage isn't about judging. Not in the way we think of judging. This is about cleaning. It's about helping. It's about building a stronger community. And we do that by helping one another. We do that by understanding our own problems. And working on them. And letting other people know that we know them and we're working on them. Inviting others to help us as we then help each other. We grow. We're stronger. We better reflect who God has called us to be. I love this. I love this passage. Because it's so, so practical. It's something we all can do at some level, even right now. So I want to encourage you. I want you to encourage you. We're going to pray and going to close this sermon. Don't leave this behind. Read. Meditate on it. Ask God. Where do you got to work? I guarantee you, all of us have at least one perhaps multiple places that we got to work.